Hello, my soul-seeking friends. It's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul podcast. Enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we have Carol Crow. She is an author, genealogist, and an integrative RN. And she's joining us today to tell us about her new book, The Magic in Your Genes, a unique book that combines genealogy and witchcraft, filled with magical tips and techniques to help the reader utilize both technical and magical resources as appropriate to the content in each chapter. Carol also included her own personal genetic genealogy testing results to explore her own magic identity and deepen her relationship with her ancestors. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm super excited about this conversation because my listeners know this is a huge part of my journey and so dear to my heart. And then even more, you're also from New Orleans. So it's just divine. Thanks so much for being with me. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited. I saw that you were from New Orleans. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) Yes, because there's no place like New Orleans. And you know, when people, when you meet someone from New Orleans, there's just that knowing. Yeah, there's a there's just a connection down there. But it's the city is really its own entity. I think more so than a lot of other places because of the history, the way that different peoples have congregated there over the 300 plus years that it's been officially a place. And something about that city, you can't crush it. You can't change it. People come in and they try to change things because it's a little too wild for them or whatever. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You try to civilize it here and it goes wild over there. (laughs) You try to civilize it there and it goes wild over here. They're almost their own culture. Oh, absolutely. Because they have their own language, right? They have their own traditions unique to just them and they've really kept to them. Yeah, absolutely. New Orleans is one of those places when you're from there, whether you spent your whole life there or you were born there and you spent a few years there, or your people are from there. You just carry a certain something within you. There's just a certain kind of magic that's in New Orleans. There's mm-hmm. just a vibe that's there. It's really indescribable, but it's so much more than Mardi Gras. It's so much more than Mardi Gras. And Mardi Gras is fun. Don't get me wrong. I love Mardi Gras. I ride in muses. I still, I, it's, a, it's been a big part of was growing up for me and my kids and my grandkids and but it's so much more than that. It's just the people there are so rich in culture and this inner knowing of all sorts of things. Just the magic that's there is so, it's just so deeply ingrained in the people. Even if they don't consider themselves magical people, they are magical people. I think a lot of other places also have that energy but it's untapped. And I think in New Orleans, it the lid's off of the jar. Well, you can't put that lid back on that jar. So it just flows yeah. out into the world. And I think that's why it's so renowned worldwide. Yeah. 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 Its roots are very deep. And that Mississippi River 
for myself, I owe my life to that Mississippi. And when people describe New Orleans just like you did, it's like, you're speaking directly to my heart or my soul. I cry when I get there because I know I'm going to leave. Yeah. And so I am 56 years old and I just left my city. Our whole family actually has relocated to Virginia. And so my father is from up here and my mother's family is the one from New Orleans. And it crushed me. It really did. And I think about now, I'm, we're not unhappy here. New Orleans is a wonderful city. It is also a very hard place to live right now with the storms and the crime and the schools for grand, my grandkids. Yeah. And our daughter, oldest daughter, got a offer for a transfer to D, for her job in, in D.C. And it just went over from there. Yeah, tumbled along. And, and we're all here now. It, it happened in less than six months. They, that it just snowballed and dominoed. And so we're here in this beautiful state and we just bought a house here and we had been traveling around for the last couple of years, but, and it's beautiful here and I love it. It's different. Plus we have to have our sausage shipped in, which I can't tell you <laughs> how much we have tried to find smoked pork sausage here. And I'm sure there's good smoked pork sausage here in Virginia. I just haven't found it yet. It has been a struggle. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I supposed to cook red beans if I don't have any smoked pork sausage, right? Or how do you make gumbo with no andouille? And oh. so you'll find things here that are labeled andouille. They're labeled andouille. That's not andouille. And we're, but we try it and we're, my husband and I are both like, that's not, no, that's not andouille <laughs> sausage. And even things that say that. they're from, like they sound like they're from New Orleans or whatever, they're packaged for people that are outside of New Orleans, like the spices are less yeah. or the flavor's not as intense, right? Because our food's really intense and spiced mm-hmm. a certain way. And there's even energy and history in that, isn't there? Oh, like absolutely. In the food. food in New Orleans is such an important part of this, it's such an important part of the culture. Um, and people think it's all about just, it's the food, but it's actually the history of the food that lends its right. magic to it because of where it comes from the basis mm-hmm. for red beans and rice and the, all the things that you do with beans after that are very cultural, like Hoppin' John and but using rice with everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my grandmother, bless her, was so, she was so funny. She would not eat potatoes. She would only eat rice. And she said, cultured people ate potatoes. That's what she used to tell me. Now, my grandmother wow. was a very but it was because of the association, and this carries mm-hmm. over from potatoes being associated with Irish people mm. and who were not considered to be of an, yeah. a higher class. And so, well, that was even before she was really born, but that, and that carried over to her and she would not make potatoes. Now she would make potato salad. But as far as mashed potatoes, if there was a choice, if we were having like a roast with gravy, there was not a potato in sight. It was always rice. Isn't that so silly? So much of that was in my family too. And they didn't know why either. She didn't know why. never had a reason why. Yeah. She just knew that she was taught that she had this association with potatoes not being a quality food. Right. Just a pattern passed down unconsciously. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's as silly as potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Potatoes. And she had so many little quirks about just all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Like I could see looking back, I can see how 
various cultures were drained out of our tree, our family tree, our family and our tree's existence because of preconceived notions about race and class mm-hmm. and what it meant to be worthy and how just how if you painted your house a certain color. So one of the reasons why the houses, you see the little white clapboard houses all around, they're painted white. The color was pulled from them because it was very French and it was considered common. So my grandmother mm-hmm. was not allowed to speak French. The French people did not paint their houses in these bright colors because it was considered trashy. And so you see in a lot of the Creole houses in New Orleans, the Creole-based houses, a lot of color. And of mm-hmm. course, that's come back now. It's a point of pride now to have a, an outrageously colored house. Yeah. For a long time, everything was white wow. with green trim oh or white goodness. with red trim. Yeah. And so this was all harkens back to wanting to lose the connection with that thing that made you less than worthy in the eyes of society, whether it was being from a mixed heritage or a French heritage or Cajun heritage, Mm -hmm. that's considered common. And so I look back at my grandmother and all these things that she tried to manipulate with the way that she did things. We didn't, I don't have the typical, and I don't know that I ever really did because Mm -hmm. we were taught to, we had to speak a certain way, enunciate. My, My children laugh about that still. Because New Orleans can be very slurry in its accent, I guess. What yeah, area? of a slushy yeah. language, and it has a lot of slang. And like you say, you heard, you heard, or hey, hey, what's up? Your mama now. Yeah. All these words are kind of blah, blah, blah together. Right. You and make groceries. Were, mm-hmm. Yeah, we were not allowed to speak <laughs> that way. If I'd have said make groceries coming up, I probably would have gotten a tap on the lips. Wow. And it was because she wanted to distinguish herself. That's just from years of being ingrained. Conditioning. And conditioning that. Mm-hmm. She saw, well, obviously she saw a lot of fear. This was your grandma? My mother's mother, yes. My, my mom says that all the time. Like, I knew of, de- but we weren't allowed to hang out with them. Then to find out she was a Duplessis. Right. And her my great-grandma and my great-grandpa were both from the Duplessis family. Yeah. And then never to know. And to remember specifically not being able to hang out with them. And she never knew why. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I guess, that's one of the things that my mom remembers about being little. So the whole story of my foray into genealogy and whatnot, and it's just been such a ride. Yeah, they weren't allowed to go down the road. Right, DTR. Nope. Oh no, you don't go oh, down. No. The, you know, you don't go well, down the road. Know, down the road. Yeah, down the road into Chalmette, mm-hmm. beyond Delacroix, all of those places where. And I looking back, I didn't ever understand why because they were just people right. to me. But looking back now, it's because they were either black, mixed, all of these different non-white. Mm-hmm. I'll just put it like that. Yeah. They just they weren't white. Right. Yeah. Or they are were white, but I don't you know, know all of these bad. things. Yeah, that have really persisted over the years. That you still see shades of. There's just so many, and I can't speak. I can't speak to, uh, in the experience of a person of color. I'm white. I grew up white. Right. I identify as white. I am white. <laughs> That's my heritage, and. But I have a niece who's mixed. That's how she that's how she terms herself. She's mixed. Her father is a black man. And 
I see what she deals with from within her own community about not being black enough and not being white enough on either side. And so it's just everywhere. And it, Mm -hmm. even within cultures that themselves are oppressed, there are also these, from what I can see, these also these inner rumblings of shades of worthiness really is what it is. Yeah. Um, Generational issue. Yeah. Yeah, you it know, is systemic so, in that way that it's passed out. So I always hated that phrase, I don't see color, because right. you should see color and acknowledge that not everything is just this homogenous whitewash or whatever. So mm-hmm. like my grandkids do see color. They do, but it's not, it doesn't carry that weight. They're just their friends and they don't. So I'm hopeful that with the, the, you know, this younger generations coming up now, who insist on not being taken advantage of, not um, being pigeonholed into a rigid container. Mm-hmm. My grandson told me, he said, I, why do I need a label? He said, I'm a boy. I know I'm a boy. That's me. He said, but why, I just want to be myself. And why do you have yeah, to- What's all these boxes I have to check off? Yeah. And of course, of course, he's young. So of course, we all need to be categorized in some way at some point for some reason. And that's fine. But when it comes to, especially to genealogy, when especially when you start doing research into genealogy and learning some things about history, it makes you really mm-hmm. take a step back and look at who we are as a people, as a whole. Yeah. I think it's something everyone should do to know where this body came from, where this DNA came from. Because as I did, my DNA begin to light up. And it was the catalyst that pushed me into the place where I am today. It made space for me to receive more light and to move further in my genealogy and into my spiritual journey. So how did you, what was it that pushed you into this work? So the first exposure that I had to genealogy, it's funny, I was probably 11 or went to school, sixth grade. I liked a boy came home and told my grandma about it. I lived with her a lot when I was little and I told her his name and she said, who's his grandma? And I was like, I don't know who his See? grandmother mm-hmm. is. You know? And so I went to school. I said, my grandma wants to know who your grandma is. And he was like, I don't know her name. Only like, in Louisiana. Who knows their grandma's name, right? When they're 11, I don't know. It's grandma mm-hmm. or mama or yeah. whatever. So he goes home, asks his mom. He comes back with the sheet of paper I bring it home to my grandma and she said, you can't like him because he's your cousin. And I said, he oh, yeah, is everyone's not. everyone's cousin. <laughs> he is not my cousin. I know all my cousins. And she said, those mm. are your first cousins. And I said, what does that mean? And so she sat down and drew me a tree that went back to his great grandmother. She knew all these people, right? Yeah. Now it turns out yeah. I'm like, we were like third cousins or yeah. not close right. at all. So if I had really liked him, it would have been okay, but too close for her, I guess. I don't know. And anyway, that was so, so I went back and told him we were cousins. He was like, Rrr. and then we didn't like each other anymore as boyfriend and girlfriend. So but it sparked <laughs> an interest in me because I saw this tree and it, to me, it looked like a web. Of course, mm-hmm. it looks like a spider web. And I thought about how, it like lit my brain up that we were all connected in some way. Like these trees would go back and over and just create this massive web of humanity. And of course I didn't have such eloquent terms for like web of humanity back then, but 
I was hooked. And so I, I wanted a tree and I started making a tree for my family. And my mom's, my mom has five older brothers and her second oldest brother, my uncle Wayne was a, also a, a family historian and genealogy buff. And so when I got older, I worked with him and we built my mom's tree back really, their family tree really far. Mm-hmm. And it, I was hooked. And so I did genealogy for years and years. And then my husband is adopted and we knew nothing about his family of origin. And in, so that's where the Paralu, that's where okay. married me. Ah, I got he's you. Adopted. So yeah, so there's no genetic yeah. tie there. Not recently. I am, I do have a genetic tie to the Paralus, but it's distant. Um, okay. Yeah. So he, I think in 2006, National Geographic had their genographic project that they advertised to tell you about your deep ancestry. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let's find out what you are. Who are you? He's got dark hair. He's got blue eyes. And that's what we knew, right? He's tall. So there, that was it. And I sent it in. And basically, he was a, a European male. It was not very... Yeah, it wasn't fun. Show. Like, okay, you're a white guy from Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so but I put it away. But eventually that morphed into a tested family tree DNA. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, he didn't have any, there was nothing really out of that that kind of stood out to me with that. So I set it aside. And then in 2013, 23 and me had their test with health history, health traits. And I said, that would be really cool. Let's do that because we don't have, we have children and grandchildren, but no medical history for you. And I mm. uh, did that. And it turned out he's a carrier for cystic fibrosis. And mm. I was like, oh, I'm a nurse. So I've been an, a registered nurse for many years. And I was like, okay, that's not cool. I, I want to know more about your medical history, but your children don't have half of their health story. So mm. I tested him on ancestry and I did a, an autosomal DNA test at family tree DNA. He was just there as a Y DNA test. And it took me about 14 months, but I found his birth mother. And she had been looking for him for 20 years. And and I realized along the way that I enjoyed the puzzle. It was like a puzzle mm-hmm. with me, sliding puzzle pieces around. And of course, I was so fascinated by his ethnicity. I said, well, let me test mine. And I tested mm-hmm. myself and it was interesting. But my dad's from, my dad's family originated Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And Maryland, my dad was born in Washington, D.C. And so I didn't have the matches to southeastern Louisiana like I thought I was going to have. But I was like, well, my dad, half of my DNA is from the northern part of northern, more northern part of the United States. So I didn't think of anything about it. Well, then my mom wanted to test hers. <laughs> she is very proud of her French heritage. And my uncle had done all this. DNA work on the family tree. They had mm-hmm. been to the family, another family member's home in France. And just this whole heritage of in in being really entrenched in New Orleans and Southeast Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And when her test came back and I noticed there was a new match, my cousin was there as a match. And I hadn't, I didn't log in every day back then like I do now. And I was like, oh, cool. There's, there he is. And then I realized that he didn't match her as much as he should. So DNA is measured in centimorgans and certain relationships with people share a certain amount of DNA. So 
you and a child are going to share this amount of DNA. You and a sibling, if you both have the same parents, are going to share more DNA than you and a sibling that only share one parent. And this is going to track down through subsequent generations. And that's how you can figure out these things. So long story short, my mom's match to my cousin indicated that either she or my cousin's father was not the child of one of their parents. I just didn't know which one. So this brother was deceased. Only his son was alive. I knew that was a half match. So I knew that my mom and this brother were half siblings based on her match to my cousin. And they were the oldest child and the youngest child. My mother's the youngest to six. This uncle was the oldest to six. So there's, they're falling at either end of the spectrum of children over a 10-year period. And long story short, tested all the brothers. And my mother was is not the child of the man she was raised with. That's her father. So 64 years old. And it devastated her. It devastated her to find out that mm-hmm. daddy was not her biological father. Now, of course, he's gone. My grandmother's gone. The one aunt who was around that might have been able to give information had Alzheimer's. So she was like 12 in her mind. She didn't know what was going on. Um, Yeah, it was just, it was a mess. I can't even explain how much of a mess that was for her. Yeah, I think about it now and I just get emotional. I guess. I don't know. I've had clients who that's happened to while I was working with them. And you know what? My None of my mom or her siblings have taken a test and yeah, need them um, to because I need to fill in some stuff. And I was just about ready for my mom's. My mom's birthday was yesterday and I decided not to do it, but I'm going to do it for Christmas. But yeah, sometimes it's um, not a lot of times, actually, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so also then, so then my, my, I wanted to tell, I was going to test my mother. I got in touch with my father. We were not very close. He and my mother divorced when I was three and a half or four years old. He moved back up North and I did not have much contact with him, but we got back together over genealogy, I guess, because I reached out to him and I wanted to correct some family stories that I'd heard about his side of my, my story. It, they, of course, people have a family story. I tell them they have this family story, this narrative that they grow up with about how their family's comprised. And more often than not, they're either missing big chunks because they are focused on one line or two lines the ones they're familiar with and the rest of the story is left out. Yeah. So, so anyway, I talked him into testing. He couldn't, for some reason, was not able to figure out how to spit in the ancestry tube. So I had to send him to family tree DNA to do the swab. That was easier for him. His results came back and I, they were also not what I expected. Like I, there were certain cousins on there that I expected to see. They were not there. And that's uh, so anyway, I wanted to talk with him about it, but he went in for some diagnostic testing and got very sick and died about a week later. And I was not able to talk with him about the results. So a long story short, my father is also not the child of the man he was told was his father. 
So there's yes. a lot of this, isn't Yeah. So, so I had this big, glorious family tree and mm -hmm. it basically got chopped off at the grandfather. So I I lost about half of my years of work, years of work back multiple generations, just, just thousands of hours of work probably. And half of it was mm -hmm. gone. And I was pissed. I was so angry. I was like, how did this and one was bad enough, but both? I don't know. I, I don't know many people who who's they have a double NPE at their parents. So NPE, the non-paternity event, right. which means that a child is not the child of the man. Or and, they, and neither of them missing. knew, right? No, nobody knew. My mother was she was shocked. She actually yeah. believed me because I I, yeah. I fall into that gently. So yeah. she believed me. She said, there is no, they're absolutely not. That's got to be wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. yeah. And so it, I actually had to contact somebody who's a well-known personality now on television who was not at that at the time. Uh, we were friends on Facebook and I sent the amount of shared DNA to them. And she said, that is definitely a half relationship. And, and I, so she grieved so terribly and she felt so much shame. She said, I'm just a dirty secret. That's what she told me. Um, and it was just so, oh, it was so bad. She was so close with her father. She was the only girl, the youngest. It was his baby kind of thing. She cared um, for him when he died. And it was just so, it was so much. Life shattering. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. What am I going to do? When she said, I don't want to know anything. Well, of course, that's the immediate right, response. Yeah. But she did. And so I started working on it without saying anything to her. Mm -hmm. And gently with her to jump in and join the search as well. Because she wanted answers. She wanted answers. And so it took me about 14 months. And the help of a very generous gentleman in New Orleans who had an extensive family tree, he matched her. DNA as a somewhat of a close cousin, close enough to be able to help us sort. And he had extensive records. And with his assistance, with his extensive tree that filled in a lot of gaps for me, I was able to figure out who her biological father was. My my father was a bit more difficult. It took me almost five years. Because with him, mm -hmm. I started out with one 60 Centi Morgan match. That was my highest match, six zero. Which, for those who don't know, a parent child is going to share like a thirty four hundred, and my started out with sixty. So she's, mm -hmm. and I'm still, I'm friends with her on Facebook now. She's a delightful lady in Australia. That was my first. That was my highest match for my father. Wow. We still don't know how we're related. Wow, I still haven't figured that one out. <laughs> yeah. She was the first one. Yeah, sometimes I'll be able to find like great grandparents. But I won't be able to find the actual parent. It's harder to find people today than it is to find people in the past. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I had this, and I realized along the way that during all this searching and upheaval and trying to piece things back together, how much of my own personal magic I pulled into the process. I'm very, again, it didn't, I didn't, wasn't consciously thinking about it in the beginning. Like a lot of genealogists, when I started out and my uncle used to fuss at me all the time about it, I was very slapdash and threw things together without doing 
the amount of research that I should have to verify oh, right. things. Yeah. Yeah, all the beginner mistakes that people can make because they're really excited and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, this yeah, it just grows on its own. <laughs> is my Mary's. Don't trust that. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So many mistakes. And when mm-hmm. I started searching my husband's mother, I was like, okay, I cannot waste time with this. Mm-hmm. I've got to be very systematic. So that's when I started reading about how to do it, how to start a journal to keep track of where you've been, these things. And then, of course, my own personal prayers and petitions and candles and ancestor altars and just all these things that I worked with anyway, but it was really became meaningful for me. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that your grandma was probably not pagan. No, she was probably Catholic. uh, Yeah, she was actually raised Presbyterian. Okay. Um, I was raised Catholic. She's, but she, my, one of my cousins is a priest and she, she, she went to Catholic church. My grandmother would go to any church really, but she was also a very, a hoodoo grandmother. So for a yeah. white lady, she sure was involved in a lot of the yeah, right cultural magic of new Orleans. So we went to, from the earliest I can remember botanicas for oils and, and potions and can fixed candles and charms and all these things she had an altar in her home now mary was on it the virgin mary was on it. yeah yeah i was gonna say i have all these things in my room right now i'm looking at i've got the rosary but it's also next to all of these candles right because they like candles for everything most of their well most of the christian practices are pagan oh absolutely new orleans is really funny in that the catholic church is very not open or there's, they're always the church in new Orleans. Things are just so mixed up. Marie Laveau was Catholic. Well, I have her in my tree twice. I actually have her in my tree twice because well, her father, it was through her husband one way or the one that she was buried with. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And then through one of my grandmothers, she would have been his half sister. Yeah. So, and I was pretty shocked to see that. Yeah. You, well, that's the thing is you see all these things about religion and spirituality were so mixed in New Orleans because so many mm-hmm. cultures came to the table, people who were there, not by choice, but by force and were yeah. and were forced to suppress their own spiritual religion. practices. And so they hid it within the confines of Catholicism. And so that particular blend is very prevalent in the city. And mm-hmm. I think that so many women, my grandmother felt disempowered by the traditional church that is really can really be oppressive to women. And I think that she found her power in ways that other people have found their power. And that was under the table. My grandmother read, so I wasn't, she would never have called herself pagan, but she read cards at her table for extra money. I grew up with that. And then wow. she read regular playing cards, that old French. Right. Yeah. Regular yeah. playing card deck. She did that uh-huh. for if she that's how she made money. Was wow. at her kitchen table reading cards for people. My husband remembers the first one of the first times he came to pick me up at my grandmother's house. There was a line of cars parked in front of her house. He said, I thought there was a party going. He said, Who are all these people waiting <laughs> in cars? And I'm like, No, they're here for readings. And he's, What are you talking about? Wow. And I was like, and it just it it didn't occur to me until I was an older teenager that my grandmother was a very different sort of person. So I grew up with auras and card reading and work at the, and an altar 
I've been rubbed down with an egg for healing. That was just my normal upbringing, I guess. And so it wasn't, I guess it's always been a part of me to be able to step outside of the confines of what's considered traditional, but Mm -hmm. traditional for who? Yeah. You're burying statues in your front yard. Right. (laughs) She did things like you cut your hair only at certain times. You Mm. cut your hair. If the moon is waxing and you wanted your hair to grow, you trim it Mm. at the waxing moon. And so it continues to grow along with the moon. If you have a Mm. hairstyle you like and you don't want to have to get it cut so often, then you cut it when the moon is waning. And so it keeps, Mm. it stops, it reverses that growth or slows that growth. She's stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, I remember her having clients sitting at her kitchen table. And if they were going on too long, she'd give me the eye and do this with her hand. And I knew I had to go get the broom and turn the broom upside down on the wall on the other side of the person, like in the room behind them. So they would leave. And her little thing to me, that was the signal for go flip the broom. And so that's what I grew up with. I didn't grow up pagan, but didn't I? Yeah, I remember being fussed at my whole life for if I whistled in the house because they said it would bring my, bad I, my grandmother. You were not allowed to whistle. You do not, and don't trust no. and don't trust a man who whistles. That's what my grandma would tell and me. And I'm a yeah. terrible whistler. I wasn't allowed to whistle. Yeah, I would like to know more about that. That's actually one that I would like to look up. But I think these stories are common for everybody. I think if everybody, when they sit, and this is where a lot of healing comes in. So when you're able to sit with your family story. And start to look back at the different, what are the things that you guys did that maybe were a little different? Like my grandmother Mm -hmm. wasn't allowed to whistle inside. There's a story behind that. Whether, I don't know if it's an old superstition. I don't know if something happened Mm -hmm. to her with somebody who whistled. I don't, you don't know these things. So, Mm -hmm. and this is what I love about DNA is that people who are typically disenfranchised in genealogy, people who are adopted, people who are descended from enslaved persons people who are removed from their family scenario for any number of reasons, whether they choose Mm -hmm. to exit due to toxic dysfunctional patterns or whether they're ejected because of who they are. DNA can really bring a lot to them to the table of being able to look back. So you can still take pride in your heritage and where you come from and not have to engage with anyone in the living incarnation, right? Who's alive right now. So the people that are actively hurting you don't have to be a part of this work. Hey listeners, so sorry for the interruption, but are you ready to make 2024 your year of vibrant health, increased energy and monumental success? Well, join me and my friend and prior guest, Dr. Louise Swartzwalter, as we embark on a transformational journey together. She designed a brain soul masterclass specifically tailored for this year, Awaken Your Beautiful You, Five Secrets to Ageless Beauty and a Sharp Brain. The masterclass is your key to reclaiming your body's vitality, understanding the link between frequency and aging, boosting your energy levels, and feeling stunning from the inside out. Get ready to propel yourself towards your most exceptional year yet. But that's not all. Prepare to experience the wonders of frequency medicine. It's going to be a blast. Sign up today at www.senseofsoulpodcast.com under the network of lightworkers. You can also find this link in the show notes. Now back to our amazing guest. It enables you to step back beyond these confines of these people, this current dysfunctional patterning 
and let you step back into history. Now, of course, there's crappy people everywhere, even in the past. We like to romanticize people in the past. You didn't have a personal interaction with that, so but you still descend from it. So it's twofold. You can Mm -hmm. step back and you can look at the cultures that your family has come from. You can look at the things that they did and you can adjust your lineage by making sure that kind of thing doesn't happen with you. So one example that I like to give for myself is I come from a line of people who enslaved others. I am from South Louisiana. I am from New Orleans and I am white. I have enslaver ancestors and they weren't small time. So it's an ugly legacy. I have Manuel Andre, who he was the first plantation, one of the biggest slave uprisings, which was not successful. And I have Ambrose Haydel. Which is a Heidel. Yeah, That's so I have, those are all German coast too. My maternal line is German coast. Okay. So We're you, probably you know, related somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. You look at, if you're, if you descend from Heidel or Haydel, absolutely. So mm-hmm. when, but when you look at these ugly things, so what I can't do anything about the past or like people are like, Oh, well I didn't do anything. I'm not responsible for that. But I do ask people to sit for a moment. And I think about the wealth and position that my family gained the privilege, the privilege. By, mm-hmm. by enslaving other people and how that has rolled down the line yes. and the benefit that I get one from just being white Two, from being able to access things that other people couldn't, can't access because of economic status or whatever. And and it was like, well, I'm poor. And I grew up poor too. I had a really tough childhood and whatnot, but I still carry privilege just because, just in my skin. And so, yeah. And so the- I always say that, that I am proof that white privilege is the thing. My family whitewashed. Yeah. My grandsons on their other side actually descend from an enslaved couple. So my grandson's, wait a minute. So we descend from enslavers and the enslaved. I said, you got a double dose, honey. You descend on one side from the enslaved and the other side from enslavers. And and I showed him on the censuses how you can see how they changed, their color changed over the course of a few decades from black to mulatto to white. white. Yeah. And that was the most shocking thing in my tree to see. I was so confused. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, it's hard to, it, and it makes it hard to find people. And it's just all these layers of complication. But the takeaway from this is that to sit with your tree, to look at the history, to acknowledge the history, to acknowledge things that were harm that was done to mm-hmm. others from the people in your right. tree, and then to amplify the stories that are good for yourself too. Right. I, I would never want anyone to feel bogged down by their heritage, mm-hmm. but instead use it as a tool of empowerment for yourself and for others to make a difference in today's world. I believe that not that my grandchildren walk through the world in an awareness of how much privilege they carry as young white men and how difficult it is for other people. And and when they are able to, and it, it is needed, don't speak over other people who are speaking to their own experience. But if someone does need a voice to use their privilege to be the voice. Mm-hmm. And those are lessons that have to be learned over time. But with DNA and genealogy, it really does. It equals the playing field in a lot of ways for people. And yes. that is the main thing my book is about is tapping into that and accessing the magic and the healing mm. that can come from genealogy. So here you are, 
you've discovered these things about your family history and you're adjusting it now, you're putting it out in the open. And so your ancestors sing, right? Mm-hmm. They're not a secret anymore. So Mm-mm. that energy gets to come out and it, you get to be proud of this instead right. of having to hide in the shadows. And they did these things because they had to, because they were looking to the future and wanted something better than the lot they were given because of their skin color. Yeah, they did what they had to. And you get to be where you are now because of that. And now you look back and find it and you get to lift them up. Beautiful. I feel for myself, they wanted their stories told. They wanted to just have, you said something, they wanted to just be acknowledged, right? They wanted that acknowledged that that they never got. And truly, because there's so much of this, it's not just the Louisiana history, which does have a lot, but I have found that there's, my dad was, had Jewish in him. I know we never knew this. I have quite a bit of Jewish in me. There's also, like you were mentioning Ireland, there's many cultures that had to hide their history for one reason or another. And this lives in you and some of the patterns and the cycles that are running through people's lineages that have not been healed. Sometimes that's all you need is just the acknowledgement. And then all of a sudden it's, wow, learn their stories. And even if you can't learn their individual stories, I always say, look at the time where it was, look at the area that they were in, connect with what they were going through, the depression or wars, all these things affected the cultures that they were in. You just connect with that brings such an awareness of what they had to go through. The fact that you had to travel months to get across the Atlantic and only half the people would survive because they didn't have the supplies and stuff to go that long and the weather and there were so many sicknesses. It's what almost makes you appreciate, gosh, I can't even believe I'm alive. If one person made a right turn instead of a left, you wouldn't be alive. Yeah, absolutely. I look at the story of, so I've traced my maternal line back to my eighth great grandmother here. She came to Louisiana in 1721 and was dead three years later, Mm -hmm. but left behind many daughters, apparently. <laughs> I'm, I've come down that maternal line. Right. And the ship that they were on... It was on the first five boats. Uh, was, she was on the Lagerun. Yeah. Lagerun. Okay. And it was one of the German pest German ships. German ones, I was about to say. Yeah. 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 You know what? I think we should also say is most people from Louisiana also come from the King's Daughters or the Casket Girls. You had all of those women that were just gifted by the King for these men that were building the city. And there's a lot of those. It's shocking. Yeah, too. you see those. Yeah, you can see. You can see so many. If people would just follow the history, that's what I tell them. There's so much information out oh, there. Gosh. And there is, uh, everyone wants to be related to someone. Ever, people like to be royalty. Yeah. That's what I've found. In oh, people. but there's like, a lot of people that are related to, like everyone, to be royalty. And I'm like, well, if it makes you feel any better, you're probably descended from Charlemagne because everyone is descended from Charlemagne. Yeah. So people want their tree to have a notable person in it. Yeah. It's exciting to be in my, I see a lot of requests to find which ancestors. Oh, um, I found that. Not mine, yeah. but I have found. Royalty. They like to be related mm-hmm. to, I don't know, politicians or celebrities or. Yeah. Presidents. You know, presidents. Well, that was one of the family stories that I was told that was inaccurate. So my grandmother's maiden name was Taylor. 
And the story uh-huh. that they had been given where they were descendants of Zachary Taylor, which I've uh-huh. later found out is not possible because that surname did not carry down because his male line did not carry forward for that surname to be passed down. So they come from another branch of society related to, to, to that Taylor, but not directly. Right. And I, I see the connections to, so I was fortunate. I wasn't able to test my grandmother, but I was able to test her sister before she died. Mm. And I can see in my aunt's, my wow. great aunt's DNA that she actually has a community with African-Americans in that circle of Mississippi and Louisiana, like Southwestern Mississippi, mm. right around Baton right, Rouge. Right the area. Yeah. They were from oh, St. Okay. Francisville, that central, yeah, St. Francisville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a line there yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, but she doesn't have any African DNA. So what that tells mm-hmm. me is that she's related to a lot of people who descend from her same line, but they descend as enslaved, as descendants of mm-hmm. enslaved persons, where she descends from and we descend from the other side. So yeah. that was interesting to me how much that you can use DNA to connect with these events in time that happened. To me, that's just a really, just another little piece of the proof, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Do you get aggravated? Like I get aggravated that so much of history has been left out. In doing this work, you really do learn true history. And you're like, wait, oh, why didn't I know about this? I was yeah. told that my... And my grandmother told me this, that her grandfather was a supervisor on a plantation. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And then I thought about it later and I was like, wait a minute, supervisor? Really? Right. That's a nifty, nice, clean that word. That's a nice dude. name. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what does that? And he was not a nice man. He was not mm-hmm. a nice man. Yeah. And so I have found his father. They were really the, I guess, the epitome of the time, white men, landowners who used enslaved persons as labor. And yeah. the story twisted. So in the family chain, the family dynamic changed when a husband died and the family came south into Barataria. And in, then into West Wego. And then that's where the line shifts when my grand with her father. And uh, so that's when things shift is when they came south to the New Orleans metro area. And the, the family fortune shifted, the wealth shifted. And then mm-hmm. he married my great grandmother, who was not considered to be equal because the Taylors were mm-hmm. very Scots Irish. They were wealthy, they were white, and my great-grandmother was a Fabre. She was from down the bayou and mm-hmm. was not considered to be as like as quality. It's a class. Um, it's a class thing. They judged people by based on the class. Mm-hmm. And so when my grandmother married my grandfather, who turned out to not be my grandfather. His father actually did not speak to him anymore because he married my grandmother who was common. And so I think about that and I, f- I feel bad for her because she was ingrained and conditioned that the, the women, she was not good enough. Her mother was not good enough. And it was where they came from. 
I wish that I could tell her, well, I look back at your maternity and it's filled with beautiful names and stories of people who travel, of a woman who traveled and came to the state Mm. to make a better life for herself. And it's not a bad story and they're not unworthy in any way, but of course, she's been gone for 22 years now. I'm a lot older and a little bit wiser now, and but um, she's not around for me to say these things to her. But I wish I could let her know that you don't have to me do too. or say or feel these things about yourself because it's not right. So there, I did, a, I've done a lot of people's trees in Louisiana. And there's this one beautiful, but so sad. Oh, I can't even find it right now. But she's from Louisiana, and she found in this old Bible this letter or just this note that her great-grandma had wrote. It said that same thing, Carol. It said um, something about, I don't know if it was her mother-in-law, never accepted her, never liked her because she wasn't worth um, yeah. It, and it just, it made me cry. And what was so powerful is her great granddaughter, who I work with, she's in like her early 30s, but it was so impacting to her to see this was a real thing. And those words hit her heart so much, her DNA, right? That she found power in it, though, because she knew that she needed to change that, right? She needed that to stop in that pattern and she knows that she needs to find that self-worth that love so that it doesn't continue exactly but that's what i see when i look at a tree and this is what i can tell everybody i said at minimum your tree Mm. is composed of people who survived at least long enough to create a child that would grow Mm. up to marry to have another and so you look at family trees that are just littered with infant deaths and child deaths. And the fact that all of these little creeks and streams have flowed down to you mm-hmm. means just by the fact that you're here, you're grown and you're cognizant enough to be able to do some genealogy research. That's right. amazing. You are a person yeah. of worth. And that's the whole, I think that's the whole thing for me is that it, what this can do for somebody who is maybe not feeling so great about themselves. Maybe they'll come from a terrible thing. Everybody has a terrible tree in some way. Everybody has a horrible person. Everybody has a family story that is unsavory. You might not even know about it. So, but the point is that you get to use this information to adjust the narrative. Yeah. And that's your work. And that's your, that can be so healing. If you stop to think about the fact when you see, let's just say you have a horrible relationship with your mother, she was abusive or cold or whatever she was. And then you start to look back in the lineage and you can see where this legacy comes from. It doesn't forgive it. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't mean that she couldn't have done better, but Mm -hmm. you can see where these, and then you can think to yourself, I am not going to do these things. I am not going to do these things. Uh, I'm going to work to make sure that I don't do these things. And so this lineage adjusts just a little bit. And that's even for people that don't give birth to children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you 
everybody is an ancestor, whether you're an ancestor of blood or genetics, or what I call an ancestor of influence. If you don't give birth to children or have children with somebody, but you interact with any other people, mm-hmm. the way that you interact with them and have an effect on them lends to their well-being and the way that their legacy passes down their lineage. And so you still have influence. And that's really important. So I had heard once that it was like the Native Americans, if they would find someone like a child or something that wasn't theirs, they would bring them into their tribe and they would pray to their ancestors to please take them on. And when I think about that, it's like your family usually does whether you believe in God or source, spirit, whatever. But if you're adopted, they pray for you like they would if you were their blood, right? No difference. And so that spiritual, it's like spiritual DNA. Yeah, that's the beauty for me. I got to show you this picture. You'll love it. So that same girl had sent me this hilarious picture. I wonder how long it'll take to show. Oh, here it is. I'm going to have to share my screen. You're going to love this. (laughs) oh because she's also from louisiana and i did her and her boyfriend's actually a suicide boy he's scrim or scott arsenal okay and they're young they're in their late 20s early 30s and i love that this generation right i love i love that they're not conditioned and they want to know stuff like this like that is amazing. They want to know who they came from. They want to know the stories. And he had, Scott Arsenault had this one ancestor. She was known as this woman who went out and stopped the war. She went out with her big white sheet. And yeah, just like the stories you can find are so amazing. And he was like, I can totally see a mama out there doing that during the middle of the Civil War, <laughs> going out there saying, y'all better get off my property. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can find these little nuggets of empowerment. Yes. Yeah. But honestly, just to, again, if you're really having a scratch, just the fact that somebody survived and thrived enough to give birth to a child that then gave birth, that you're in, you oh, just said. Back then, yes. So many laws. It was really hard to actually, they had so many damn children back then, though. <laughs> yeah. You were saying your mom and dad came from a family of six? No, or was my it your son- grandma? Yeah, my mom. Yeah, my mom was six. My dad was four. Four. Oh, okay. Four total. She had yeah. five. No, five. L- look at this. Anymore. Can you see this? Oh, I yeah, I have seen. That. Have you seen that one before? It says I, I knew signing up for ancestry was a bad idea. Look at the big horn god. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. But that's what it feels like sometimes. When you sign up and you're like, what the hell is this mess? I actually descend from a couple. Their last name was Saladay and they are from Ohio. And Mm -hmm. there was a vampire panic around that time. Oh yeah. So there is a, that. so she was my fifth great grandmother. Her name is Phoebe Chaffin Saladay and she kept a diary and she wrote about her husband's family. So everybody kept dying, right? That it, it was tuberculosis, this is what oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. thought that the person who died would get up out of the grave at night and wander through the house and make people sick, not realizing that, of course, this oh, is yeah. Good, right. So 
they disinterred. She writes the story. They disinterred this man, cut mm. him open and pulled out his organs, burned them. And the whole family had to be there to breathe in the smoke so that they wouldn't get sick. And she remembers, recalls telling this, and she got very ill from that thing. And she said her husband became very frustrated with her, but soon thereafter was okay because she realized she was pregnant. And so he was more forgiving of her not feeling well, standing in this cleansing smoke of her brother-in-law's internal organs being burnt up in a fire. And so it's crazy. Her husband was the only survivor out of his whole family. Everybody died. I was reading this and I'm like, okay, well, that's funny. This is a vampire story. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and, uh, and there's just a whole like Wikipedia, a strange superstition. The family uh-huh. of Philip Saladay came from Switzerland, <laughs> bought and settled on a lot in the French grant soon after the opening of the country for settlement. Hereditary consumption developed itself in the family sometime after their location in Scioto County, which I don't know even if I'm saying that. The head of the family and the oldest son had died of it, and others began to manifest symptoms when an attempt was made to arrest the progress of the disease by a process which had been practiced in numerous instances, but without success. They resolved to disinter one of the victims, take his entrails, and burn them in a fire prepared for the purpose in the presence of the surviving members of the family. This was accordingly done in the winter of 1816 to 17 in the presence of a large concourse of spectators who lived in the surrounding neighborhood and by Major Amos Wheeler of Wheelersburg. Samuel Saladay was the one they disinterred and offered up as a sacrifice to stop, if possible, the further spread of the disease. But like other superstitious notions with regard to curing diseases, it proved of no avail. The other members of the family continued to die off until the last one was gone, except George. And George is my fifth great grandfather. Oh my God. They literally said hereditary. Yeah. Hereditary consumption. Yeah. Oh my God. And I was like, okay, well, that's a, I have a chapter in my book about notable ancestors. And so I always tell people who were looking for somebody famous. I'm like, I had no, this is a story, right? This is notable. Yeah. So, you know, but I think what, again, I look to interesting surnames. What's the history of the surname? Like I had one from Cornwall. It's named Kivel. Oh yeah. Right. It's very Cornish. And so I delve into that. But I think the most notable thing of all is the common unknown. Yes, I agree. My entire tree who just lived their lives and had their children and went on. And so that's the most notable thing is that led to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love that so much. I have to tell you one story I think you'll appreciate. So I worked on my best friend, Mandy's tree, who used to be my co-host. Um, we did find that she had Anne Pudiator in her tree. So she was the oldest of the Salem supposable witches. This lady was not a witch. She just happened to have two husbands that died, um, a lot of land. She had a lot of land, which made her a target. And she made soap. Seriously. Like, this is the kind of shit we found. Then so we knew about Anne Pudiator. But then I had two Reiki students, and they were sisters. And they did the Reiki class together, and their last name is Putnam. And I happened to say, "Can I, I can I do your genealogy?" I even offered it because I was very curious because the Putnams are. And plus, I had this 
strange just vibe in me because it was the Putnam sisters, okay, that were accusers, the young Putnam sisters. And here I have sisters, okay? So it just was, I was feeling something strange in me. Sure enough, they have like literal direct line to not the sisters, but the grandfather. And I was like, well, this is weird. So I did a Reiki three retreat up in the mountains and Mandy and the Putnam sisters, they both took it together. So here I have descendants of the accusers of the Salem witch trial and an actual descendant of one that was hung. And I'm like, now I'm having goosebumps telling you this right now. I saw that it was so very powerful and actually other people that I am were there that I told also felt it was powerful. But I told Mandy, I told her several times and I told the Putnam sisters several times, but for some reason they would not hear me. They would not hear me. It was the weirdest thing in the world. And then even afterwards, I talked to them both and they're like, oh, really? Wait, I didn't understand what you were saying. Wait, what? That happened? What? And yeah, dude, that's why I was like, I even said to both of them, don't you think this is amazing? And they both were just like, they couldn't hear me. It was so weird. It was so weird, but there was something blocking them from hearing me. Yeah. One of the things I talk about in my book, energetic DNA, it's in our aura. So I think that a lot of people don't realize that you do not carry DNA from every single one of your ancestors. You're still descended mm-hmm. from them, but Makes over sense. time, it pieces are like you think about you only get 50% from mom, roughly 50% from dad. Mm-hmm. So, and you unevenly inherit from their parents. Maybe you got from your dad, you 100%. got 22% of your grandma and 28, whatever, yeah. you know, 28% of your grandfather. So these are inherited unevenly. Eventually you're going right. to come to a point where you don't carry DNA from an ancestor. Right. But I think with collective traumas and with all these things that we pass down, we carry that energy with us instead. And so I think mm-hmm. sometimes these energies conspire to protect us from what they might perceive as danger or Right. Or I thought maybe because they, they hadn't really done the work. Like I did the work, but they hadn't really done the work. Yeah, you know, so, so I thought maybe that information was could be painful or harmful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think this auric DNA that we carry. Yeah. In saying that, I have found, and tell me if you found the same, there are some people in the tree and like that are probably historical, but yet they didn't pull at me. But then I have this dude over here who, like you said, is the common, right? And I am so attracted to that story. And for some reason, I'm so, like, I even have a nickname for him, right? I'm so connected. There's some key people in my tree that I have a very strong connection with. So when you say that, that makes sense. Did that happen for you too? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I never understood in the beginning, I officially in my mind left the church when I was an older teenager, like 19 or so, because I felt very disempowered as a woman. I wanted a Uh spiritual path that wasn't for me. And so I tripped onto the goddess type path, right? The divine feminine. And that's where my path has meandered since then. And I was very attracted to 
Stregoria Italian witchcraft mm-hmm. to Italy. That was always yeah. top on my travel list. And it was very, I didn't understand it because I didn't have any Italian ancestors. My mother was like, we are not Italian. Like, <laughs> That's another one. <laughs> She's well, no, your dad's definitely not Italian. Well, after I found my mom's biological father, mm-hmm. I know oh. grandmother is from Ustica, Italy. And so my mother has a significant amount of Italian her- uh, Italian heritage. People don't realize that New Orleans is very heavily Italian oh, yeah. and very Sicilian. Yeah. But within that group are the Ustachesi, who are a very significant part of that. People don't realize the connection. I can tell by somebody's last name because I've done so much research if they have Ustachesi ancestry. And so that was my grandmother. Well, I had all of this weight coming down on me. I think this pressing against me to be like explore. Right. When you meet people, I know this is for me. Just is something I do now. I, I I listen to them, and all of a sudden, I start to see and hear their ancestors. If I see a really strong woman and they're talking very strong, like I, that's my go-to. Or if I see someone defeated and not standing in their power, I see their ancestry. It's just something that just hits me right away. Yeah, absolutely. So you can see traits that come down through people. My mom always says, my mother's a very smart lady, but she always says, like, I have my father's brains. My father was a brilliant man who made bad choices. But my mom tells me all the time, you, she said, you're so much like your Uncle Wayne. My mannerisms <laughs> and the way that I speak right. and how ve- I can be very brusque and I'm very out there. And I'm like, it's probably my astrology. Uh, I don't know how much you know <laughs> about astrology or do astrology. I'm a triple fire, have a Leo sun and Aries moon and the Sagittarius okay. rising. Wow. Yeah. Like a phoenix. And so, but yeah, I look at people and I see, and I also wonder who's coming through them in this particular moment to Mm -hmm. make them this way. What trauma is perpetuated in this behavior? So how do people work with you? I I love your book. I love the name of your book because I 100% agree with it. (laughs) There is magic in your genes. So most of my work has been done helping people who are searching that is what I you okay. know, gravitate adopted people. I get an email, hey, so-and-so is looking mm-hmm. for to find out more. I also have started teaching a class. Oh, okay. It, it's called Priestess of Sacred Roots. And it's a genealogy priestess. And it's taking people through the very basics of genealogy, traditional genealogy, mm-hmm. genetic genealogy, and also the magical parts of it. How to keep a daily practice in mm-hmm. conjunction with your genealogy and how to tie those two things together. Because a lot of people have said they resonate with my book and that message can then be further spread by others who can also bring mm-hmm. this kind of healing and balance and equanimity to the world through genealogy and everything that it offers through our history. And there's other parts of genealogy too. There's the family tree part with autosomal DNA, which is the DNA that you you get from your mom and your dad equally, mm-hmm. but there's also Y chromosomal DNA that mm-hmm. men get from their direct father line. And there's right. mitochondrial DNA that people get from their mother line, men and women get from their mother mm-hmm. line. And there's power along those two. A lot of women find empowerment through working with mitochondrial yes. DNA. 
mm-hmm. lot of men can find empowerment working with their paternal line. And then you can look, you can cross section over and you could say this male energy that I get from my father was also influenced by his maternal lineage. What comes down those mm-hmm. lines? And so there's different tracks you can take. So you can do autosomal DNA and do your tree. You can do work on your maternal lineage. You can work on your paternal lineage. You can work on your ex inheritance, ex mm-hmm. DNA inheritance, which is really convoluted, but still a path, right? Oh. When I associate all of these things with different things like your autosomal DNA to me, because it's so patchwork with different bits of ancestry, especially for us here in the United States, mm-hmm. I think of that little patchwork cloak where your ancestors mm-hmm. wrap around you, you know, oh. your mitochondrial DNA, that's your so- literal source of power. That's the part of the cell that ah. is the powerhouse at the bottom. And so I think of that, your power, that's your crown. That's mm-hmm. your crown of power that sits on your head. Your Y DNA is the staff that grounds you to the earth and is your strength. And so in your energetic DNA is your aura and oh, X DNA is like, the, is the chalice that you drink oh. from which you drink and get sustenance. And so all of these That's things beautiful. come together and create these things for you that you can envision in your mind. Like you can picture a cloak around yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you can picture in your mind, the cloak of what your cloak is going to look like. It's not going to be like anybody else's because there's only one you. Mm -hmm. And so you can envision this cloak as your shield, as your bubble, as your protection, as your warmth and your connection to people. So when you feel like you are not in a sovereign moment or you've lost Mm -hmm. power in a situation, I tell people take a deep breath just for a moment. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic. It doesn't have to be anything And think about the crown that sits on your head, your divinity, your legitimacy, and think about every woman who's come before you that has given birth to the daughter that leads to you and how many thousands of generations that goes back. So you're the end of a very lengthy chain of women who Mm -hmm. have given birth, who have lived long enough to give birth to the next daughter. It's a miracle. And that goes back 150 to 200,000 years to the original mother from Africa. And so since that time, there has been an unbroken chain of women that have come before you. And that's powerful. It is. And so when I tell people when they are, like I said, when they're feeling less than sovereign or feeling less than legitimate, whatever, Mm -hmm. just take a breath. Just for a second, you just need to gain control in the situation. Close your eyes. All those women did not go through the pains of childbirth for you to sit on your ass and get treated like shit. That's what I tell people all the time. I love it. Yeah. Own it. Own it. And the same thing for the same thing for you. Even as a woman, we don't inherit YDNA from our father, but we're heavily Mm -hmm. influenced by his presence or its lack of presence in our life. Yeah. That staff or you're having trouble feeling strong if you don't feel grounded. Close your eyes and envision that staff connecting you to the earth, holding Mm -hmm. you upright and acting as support for you. Even if your father was not a supportive person in your life, the energy that comes down through that line Mm -hmm. absolutely is. And so these are ways that you can find balance in everyday situations that you can look to your heritage and remind yourself that you are worthy of respect Mm -hmm. and, and to be treated appropriately and 
all the other things in, in life that we have to fight for sometimes. Sometimes I think they're rolling in their graves, the shit I'm telling. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially some of those women that went to great lengths to keep the shit hidden. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think about in those situations, especially like in your situation, the pain and the shame that must have yeah. accompanied that. And also on the flip side, the hope and the dream. Yeah. So here well, I know are. they prayed. Here yeah. you are. You are a manifestation yeah. of somebody's dream. We can disagree on politics and religion and everything else. But at the end of the day, most mm -hmm. people want for their children to be able mm -hmm. to live life safely, warmly, fed, to be sovereign and to be able to pursue their dreams. And I think that's the common thread. Mm -hmm. And I remind myself of that when I get politically heated or mm -hmm. whatever. And I'm like, yes. I've met some people on the opposite side who I know also just want these things, but the way we think it should yeah. be approached is different. But mm -hmm. at the base of it all, we all want these things for our families for the most part. Of course, like I said, there's yeah. always crappy people, but again, genealogy offers so much. It's your backstory and your backbone. Well, thank you so much, Carol, for coming on. I just, I love that you have been able to find the beauty in this for yourself, for your family, for your husbands. That's pretty amazing. And then to share it with everyone else, because that's truly what I think this work is. It's not just for you. It's not just for your lineage. It should expand from that. Everybody did this. It would actually help everybody in the collective. We're all connected. People mm -hmm. tend to focus in on their tree. Their tree is in a forest. I love that. Yes, that's true. And all the roots are intertwined. Tell everybody where they can get your book. So, okay. My book is called The Magic in Your Genes, and it's written as Carol Crow. It is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or you can get it, order it anywhere books are sold. The publisher is Wiser Books. And uh, yeah, you can, I'm on and social your media. You can, website is carol.com, C-A-I-R-E-L-E.com. Super excited to... Have well, you. we'll have to hook our family trees up and see where we hook. See yeah, where I'm sure there's yeah. connections. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sense of Soul podcast. And thanks to our special guests for joining me. If you want more of Sense of Soul, check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one -on -one or help support Sense of Soul podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening.